Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is one of, I think, Hard Rock's greatest chameleons. This guy is a total mystery to me. It is Graham Bonnet. Now, Graham has one of the most distinguished and wide-ranging, I guess you could say, voices in rock and heavy metal. Um, he's a, been a part of so many bands. So let me, you, I'm sure you know who he is, but let me recount this for you. In the early 70s, he starts out as sort of a solo artist, performing a lot of like R&B covers. In fact, actually before that, in the late 60s, he was in a sort of psych pop folk group called the Marbles that are associated with the Bee Gees, actually. Then he goes solo. Then he gets discovered and he joins Rainbow, as you know. He sings this song right here. He only lasts for one album in Rainbow, joins Michael Schenker group, only puts out one album with them, and gets kicked out when he accidentally, with a question mark, exposes himself on stage at a concert, the first concert. Then he forms the band Alcatraz. They have some success, and in case you don't know, previous Alcatraz guitarists are Yngwie Malmsteen and Steve Vai. And then, all throughout this time, he also puts out the occasional solo album or forms the Graham Bonnet Band. That band is back at it right now, and they just put out a new album two weeks ago called Day Out in Nowhere. That is really strong. If you're a Graham Bonnet fan or a metal fan, by that matter, then check out Day Out in Nowhere. I, I have to apologize a little bit. We did this interview a couple of months ago, and when we did, the release date for the album was not 100% set. Not that I knew anyway. In fact, at the time of doing this, I wasn't even 100% sure what the name of the album was going to be. I pride myself on being as informed as possible. I fear that I sound a little less informed this time on that. That's because I didn't have all the details then, but of course we do now. The album came out two weeks ago. So we hear stories in here about Richie Blackmore, Yngwie, Shanker, Steve Vai, Cozy Powell. He talks about what happened, what went well, what went wrong and all this stuff. And in case you've never seen Graham, the guy doesn't look anything like anyone else in heavy metal. He wears these dapper white suits. He's got like the aviator shades. He's got the short, slick back hair. He looks like Pat Riley fronting a heavy metal band. And he could have sang any form of music he ever wanted and does a lot of the time. And yet he's mostly associated with metal, which is just mind blowing to me. The story he tells here at the end is about his love for Neil Sedaka, of all people. Anyway, this guy is a, is a mystery to me. He can do anything and everything, and I find him so fascinating. And when we were talking, he was on Zoom, and he was sitting out in his backyard on a beautiful Southern California sunny day. The blue skies behind him. He's in the shades and his black t-shirt, looking all the Southern California you can. Anyway, obviously, that's where he called me from. So let's kick it off with the new album because I've yeah. been listening to Imposter on a loop.
Yeah. And it's so great. And I'm curious what, when you put out, when Graham Bonnet decides to put out a new album, whether it's you or Alcatraz or whatever, do you, are you just constantly writing new songs and you think I've got it 12 now and they're good? Or does someone come to you and say, we need a new Graham Bonnet album or you get bored? Uh, what motivates yeah. it? Um, yeah, it's pretty much, let me show you. <laughs> this is me right now, writing new stuff <laughs> with Jeff Loomis, the guitar player, for uh -huh. a new another album. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now. So I've got all my little notes written down, notes, words, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's constant with me. I can't help it. It's like a, it's like a really bad tick. I have to do really? it, otherwise I'm not alive, you know. But there's always something, I'm always looking around for, um, you know, the subject to write about because everything's been done. As You know, I, I'd rather report than talk about fantasy. You know, most metal, so-called metal, is about uh, Sword in the Stone and uh, Jack and the Beanstalk or whatever the hell you want to, you know, it's Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. It's fantasy. Sure. I, I like to make up stuff about things I know, and I think people realize that now. I've been doing this for quite a while now, since the uh, Alcatraz days, I think, back yeah. then, when Ingvay was in the band. So it's sometimes very hard to find a new subjects, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm writing a new song, and I'm going, what, what the hell can I write this about? Because I've written about everything, including <laughs> Alzheimer's, pedophiles, uh, <laughs> la, la, la. It goes on and on. So right. it's, it's always hard to find a new subject that's uh, kind of interesting, but at the same time, kind of heavy or yeah. you know, serious. Yeah. I don't want to be too jokey, but but I always have my tongue in tongue in cheek sometimes. I like I a bit tell. of humor in songs as well. You, you know, yeah. it's interesting you say this, Graham, because I've never been exactly sure because you are you're famous for your interpretation of other people's songs. You're mm -hmm. almost as famous for that as you are for your own stuff. And so mm -hmm. I've always wondered what kind of a compulsion writing songs were for you. Or if you're happier, people bringing you songs saying, I think you'd be great with this. And then you interpret yeah. it your own way. Yeah. No, I, I, that's how I used to be. I used to be when I was a younger man. You know, I always thought I, I can't write songs. I can't write lyrics. Uh, my cousin, back in 1968, my cousin Trevor Gordon, when we recorded together with um, the Bee Gees, you know, back then in London, uh, he was always the one that was prolific. He, he had subject. I, I say to him, Trevor, what do I do? How do I write a freaking song, for God's sake? And he would say, well, just any, you can write about anything. So, well, what about a cloud? He wrote a song about clouds. And I said, what about a fork and a knife? And he wrote a song about a fork and a bloody knife. <laughs> he was that kind of guy. I never thought I could write songs until, um, really, until sort of like uh, the Michael Shanker days when I really had to because Michael said to me I don't speak English very well and I don't do lyrics very well can you do it and um, it was sort of forced upon me but before then with Rainbow uh, Roger Glover taught me a lot about you know how to write a song because I never realized where things should come into um, an arrangement Where's, where does the you know where do the words start where's the verse start where's the middle bit whatever where's the sing-along you know the chorus and uh, Roger Glover taught me a lot, and he's a, a, a very brilliant musician, and uh, mm -hmm. I love him to death. But he taught me a lot, and he said, come on, I'll give you an idea when we did the Rainbow album I'm talking about, uh, an idea of a melody, and then you interpret it your own way. And that's mm -hmm. what I did. Okay. But earlier on, I always relied on other people's songs because I didn't think I could write songs. 
Yeah. So it was always kind of a Tin Pan Alley thing, you know. Okay. The, the guy sitting at the piano, oh, got a song for you, my boy, you know. So it was like that. I sort of appreciated that and did also did some covers like, you know, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow or songs like that, you know. It's now I think I found the way. Have you? Okay, so this yeah. <laughs> this is everything you're saying right now is speaking to some of the questions that I've always had about Graham Bonnet, which is that I've always wondered because you start out as you know as a true kind of R&B, more R&B singer, and if you go back mm. to the Marbles, mm. I hear some Tom Jones in there. Yeah. And I've yeah. always wondered <laughs> does Graham Bonnet really want to be a heavy metal singer? Who is Graham Bonnet, really? If yeah. he made the music he wanted to make without yeah. any outside pressure, what would it sound like? Because yeah. he's done a little bit of everything. That's what, it, you know, with my uh, solo albums that uh, <laughs> I made, you know, I made a couple of solo albums back uh, before Rainbow, before uh -huh. Rainbow, VR. And uh, it was a bit of everything, you know, uh, like skiffle song, jingy, jingy, sure. jingy, you know, strumming song and uh, reggae, uh, R&B, yes. So yeah. soulful stuff. Um, but um, what was the question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> I just wonder what, if, what was the intention for you at the very beginning yeah. Where did you think you were going to go? Well, I thought I'd, I'd be like that forever. I never thought I was right for Rainbow because it was one set, a bunch of songs and whatever. I, I never thought I would be a so-called heavy rock singer. That wasn't yeah. my, you know, quest. 
<laughs> but uh-huh. for some reason, that's that's how I've been labeled. And yeah. I'm, I thought I have you right. Well, I'm a bit of a, I'm a singer, yeah. period. You yeah. know, and uh, if I'm compared to people like Tom Jones, that's a that's a great compliment. He's one of my favorite singers. He's one of the best but, ever. But oh, I hear a lot of Tom Jones and you in the marble yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. Uh, I can I can imagine him doing like heavy rock stuff, but he never has. He's no. always on sort of silly songs. Love yeah. as I can be on the show. You know what I mean? Sure. But he has some great songs. Uh, there's one I like. It is called um, uh, "Fall in Love." I think it was "Fall in Love." No, I've never done it. It's really soulful. Huh. He's got a really soulful voice, and I saw him uh, do a show on on TV, uh, and it was all kind of R and B stuff. It wasn't, uh, you know, um, release. I mean, um, what was that song? Uh, green, green grass of home. Yeah, it wasn't that sort of country thing. You know, now I'm doing. You know, when I, when I make up a song, I really tailor it, tailor it to me, my range, uh, the sound of my voice, and everything. So I don't have to wor- worry about, oh God, what what key is this going to be? In? Yeah, you know. Yeah. But I always, you know, I always had that. Um, there's always that high note in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> well, and you can still the hit those. It's a miracle. Uh, yes. I can't believe how good you still sound. Well, I appreciate that. You know, with this album, we really, you know, went for it. I said, okay. To myself, to myself, I said, "Self, you know, I'm not going to uh, duck and dive. It's not going to be smooth and easy going. There's got to be a bit of a challenge." And actually, it wasn't that much of a challenge. I found out that uh, it's still there. You know, after all these years, I still have the same range. My highest note is around a, a D, which is above top C, which is cool. But but when I recorded with the Marbles, the highest note was a, a C sharp, which is just under the D, you know, <laughs> but um, I found out I could sing higher notes, but I always want the note to come out, you know, powerful and pure, not mm-hmm. just like, ah, not like that, yeah. not falsetto, you know, right. so I try to not, I can't do falsetto to save my life. I do sometimes uh-huh. just for silly, silly noises on, you know, on tracks, but I've never been good at it. You know, I leave that up to, you know, like Ian Gillen or somebody who yeah. can do it perfectly. I, I just can't. It has to be the real you know, boom, boom. Yeah. has to come from the chest and be big and, you know, yeah. thick like Tom, jo- like Tom Jones. But he doesn't hit high notes. He's a sort of mid-range no. guy. But um, No, know. but I'm thinking of a voice that's elastic and soulful and can fit with almost any genre. And that's what your voice reminds me of. And so does his in some ways. In a parallel yeah. universe, I could, I could see you having a Tom Jones career <laughs> just as easily as having a heavy metal career. You know? Yeah, well, you know, when I was with um, uh, Stigma's organization with the Bee Gees and my cousin Trevor with the Marbles days in 68, me and my Trevor sort of split up musically, not to, as friends, but musically. You know, Stigwoods didn't want to promote the Marbles anymore. They just wanted to promote me. And I said, well, doing what? And they sort of came up with an idea of me. Back then, Vegas was like, Vegas? Mm-hmm. You know, um, bow ties and all that kind of thing. <laughs> I know Vegas has changed now, but they wanted to make me Tom Jones. And I said, no, that's not mm. what I want to be. You know, mm. my, my cousin. So I left Stigwoods and uh, didn't do anything for a couple of years. I just hung around waiting for a job to come along mm. because I didn't want to do that. It, it wasn't me, mm. you know. So. OK, well, that's that. good to know. That answers that question. That also yes. tells me I've always wondered how the Bee Gees got involved in that yeah. Marbles album. And it's because of the Stigwood management connection? Yeah, well, my cousin Trevor, 
who passed away seven years ago, maybe, mm. I think. I have his guitar in the house right now, so Les Paul, and he taught me a lot. My cousin Trevor taught me guitar for one thing, how to play chords, blah, blah, blah. You know, and Trevor was in the Bee Gees when he was a kid in Australia. Mm. And um, Trevor came over to England to join up with me. I had a little garage band. And he said, well, we've got to get out of our hometown where we were both born. It's called Skegness. Uh, to get out of our hometown and go to London. And we went to play in London, my, my cousin Trevor and three other guys. And for some reason, it, really odd, in the audience was the Bee Gees old manager. I can't remember his name now, but he was in the audience and he came up to Trevor because Trevor was a guitar player in the Bee Gees. Mm. It was called Trevor Gordon and the Bee Gees at one point. They made records together in Australia. <laughs> and uh, they, were, they were friends in school. You know, it was one of those uh, relationships. Yeah. I mean, they were like brothers, you know, the, the, the three brothers and my cousin, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and then I became one of the brothers, too, uh, I'm glad to say. And in the audience was uh, their old manager, and he came up to Trevor and said, uh, hey, Trevor, hey, Trevor, how are you? You know, it was Australian. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I had to do it. Um, of course. Said, uh, you know, he said, I'm sure that Barry, Robin, and Morris would love to see you. Here's Barry's telephone number. So my cousin Trevor went over to Barry's house where he lived with uh, Stigwood in Adams Row in the West End of London. It was a really beautiful sort of uh, townhouse place. And my cousin went over there and got together with Barry, Robin and uh, Morris, and they wanted to work with my cousin. And they said, well, you could be like, uh, you know, Cliff Richard is, right? Of course. Yeah. Right. They, want, they said uh, to Trevor... We want to make you like the Australian Cliff Richard. I can which, see that uh, too. Okay. Really hurt his ears. You know, you know, he didn't want that at all. He'd rather be Paul Simon or something. Joe right. was a great uh, folk writer, folk sort of and guitar player. And he, he didn't want that. But anyway, as the conversation went on uh, during that night, I wasn't there. He said, well, my cousin sings too. And they said, oh, well, bring him over. So I went over to Sigwood's uh, you know, house. And um, we sat down playing guitars and singing Stevie Wonder tunes and uh, the Beach Boys and, of course, the Beatles, all in harmony. It was like, God, I was, I was in heaven. It was just, like, amazing. And Stigwood right. came into the room and said to Barry, Barry, do you have a song for these boys? And he goes, hey, what? what? <laughs> and he said, I'd like to get these boys in the studio this week. And that was the beginning of the marbles. And he came up with the song that eventually became called Only One Woman, which was our first kind of R&B three, four time song, you know.
Yeah. That's so, amazing. Yeah, what, was, um, when does the new album come out? May uh, sometime. Day, I haven't found an actual it, date. It's uh, May the, what is it, by the way? May, what? What, what day is I it don't May? know the actual day. It's May, though, isn't it? It is in May. Yes, in May. I can't okay. remember the date. But it's okay. uh, the beginning of May sometime. Okay. That's what I saw, too. I didn't see an official date. Okay. And yeah, is I'm, not it sure, gonna, I'm not sure. And when you think about the new music, compare it to something. Is it Alcatraz? Is it, I personally think maybe one of your best solo albums is Line Up. I like that one a lot. Is it, uh, where, where do you think this album fits stylistically? I, yeah, it's sort of some somewhere in between lineup and uh, Alcatraz, if you will. But it's Bonnet Traz, basically. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's just the way songs come out with me. You know, I I write songs a certain way, and I I hope they're identifiable, and it yeah. has a certain style. And I I think I, I'm sort of gone for that. The harmony, the blah blah blah. You know, the way the melody goes sometimes a bit unusual, and the um, the subject matter unusual. I, I like, as I said before, I like to come up with something that's very hard to find sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm going with this thing. Well, what, what, what can I write this about? You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, um, I, I think now the Graham Bonnet band is sort of a cross between Alcatraz and probably like some of the lineup album. You okay. Know? Okay. I, I think I'm not, I'm not quite sure, you know? Yeah. But to what, me, um... in my mind, Wait, yeah. are you going to tour this thing? And if you do, do yeah. you tour primarily like Japan and Europe, or do you going to hit other spots? What can we expect? Yeah. Well, hopefully that we will be able to play in the state. Couldn't get arrested in the states last year, or I mean, before the pandemic thing. Yeah. Uh, around then, it was just it's really hard here because uh, nobody was really interested in Alcatraz at the time, and um, it's um, really sort of Europe and Japan were the the big ones in Australia, England, but but here has been difficult. But now I think the way things are going with the um, comments that have been made on that one track that uh, people have heard right now, it is I think we'll be able to play here. Hopefully Good. to open up for um, some of our friends, some of the bigger bands, mm-hmm. which I think would be ideal for us. We can't go out there and headline, but yeah. we've got to open up for say um, I don't know Thin Lizzy or. Um, Saxon, you know, these are all our friends that uh, we are managed by the same people. Sure. And so it'd be nice to get out there and do that. Well, okay. we'll see what happens, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon because of this freaking 
pandemic thingy. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. scared shitless about it. You know, yeah. I wear yeah. a mask when I just go to the bathroom, you know, in a, a <laughs> smart, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but, I do. Because everybody's oh, it's okay to take your mask off now, but I think it will be probably sooner than we think. I think Comrade, our guitar player was talking about getting rehearsals together like now, which we need to do. Cause it's been like two, two, more than two years of not playing, yeah. you know, so you're going to yeah. get a bit rustic, rusty. Yeah. Rusty, right. Yeah, you know, like, rustic. <laughs> Rustical. So, yep. so let me ask you this too. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, that Alcatraz sort of reunion album, Born Innocent, comes out with you on it. What's the state of, do, do you, are there hard feelings with Alcatraz? Is it stop and go because people fight with each other? Or is it stop and go because you swoop in, you do something that sounds interesting, then you go do some yeah. other project? What's the nature of the dynamic? Well, it's, it's not very good right now. I can tell Isn't you. It? It's, it's okay. been shit, to put yeah. it mildly. Okay, I wasn't and, sure. Uh, there's a little bit of a battle going over the name of the band. You know, they want to use it. So do we. It's yeah. my freaking band in the first place. Yeah. It's not their band. It's my fucking music. Mm -hmm. They can call themselves fucking Alcatraz, the best Alcatraz ever, <laughs> but it's not the music. Alcatraz is a name. Mm -hmm. but we, uh, I want to, you know, get the name back and call it, you know, Graham, Graham's Alcatraz, or Graham Bonnet's Alcatraz. I don't necessarily want to use the name by itself, just, you know, it's just Alcatraz. Let them use that if they want to. But I don't think it's going to get them anywhere because they don't have the fucking music. Yeah. It's not Alcatraz without me, the, yeah. the founder of the bloody band. Yeah. You know, it's like the Beatles without Paul McCartney. I'm not saying I'm Paul McCartney, but I you know, know what, you what mean. I mean. Of course. It's like uh, Dio without Ronnie Dio. You know? Of course. It's of the course. sound that we yeah. had. And, um, you know, that's basically it. And okay. I guess we'll probably, um, I, I think we'll be able to use the name and, you know, it'd be okay. 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 Let's go back to Rainbow for a minute because that's yeah, they, they to tried be... to get the sorry, they, they no, tried please. to get the trademark. Um, the guys, those, those other guys, by the way, that's that's what's going on right now. Okay. Yeah, it's a bit of a battle, you know, uh, you know, lawyers, etc. It's, it's a pain in the ass. I want to bloody forget the bloody guys, I really do. Yeah, but anyway, it's a shame. I knew that there were two factions out there, yeah, and uh, I assumed there was some tension, but I wasn't sure, yeah. Um, well, it's been, yeah, it's been a bit of a, the, the management is using my name to continue their own fucking career mm -hmm. and rip off me sideways from uh, merchandise and God knows what else, yeah. which I'm really angry about. And I don't want to, I don't want to bother with that. Really. Yeah. So when you get back with them two years ago, do you get back because someone offers you a lot of money? You get back because everybody's good and friendly with each other. Let's try this again. What motivated that? 
Yeah, it wasn't money, I can tell you that. You know, okay. We were playing freaking pizza parlors. You know, the, okay. the gigs we did were, were shocking. Really? You know, I mean, we went over to England to play, and there was just there was nobody there sometimes hmm. because it wasn't advertised. It was just like throw something against, you know, throwing spaghetti on the wall and hope it sticks. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work, you know. And yeah. the, the people in the band, there was one, no, there was just, yeah, just one other guy from Alcatraz from the past. And um, uh, yeah, 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 the manager had uh, ideas for Alcatraz. He thought that, you know, bringing back Alcatraz would bring an audience, but it didn't. It failed mm. miserably. That's too you bad. know, and uh, I was told by other people here as well as in England that, you know, my name on its own is stronger than the word Alcatraz with two Z's, the, the name Alcatraz, right. <laughs> which right. I didn't believe. I always thought, well, you know, Alcatraz, people know that, you know, from mm-hmm. the guitar players we've had who've become kind of legendary, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was sort of, you know, glomming onto that a bit and holding onto it like you do, you yeah. know, but, yeah. uh, you know, Paul McCartney became Wings. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know That's what I'm right. saying? It yeah. doesn't matter as long as it's no. Paul McCartney. That's right. I'm, I'm, saying I'm, Paul, I'm not Paul McCartney, but you know what I'm <laughs> I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, so let's, let's go back to that, you know, crossroads moment in your life when you get invited to sing for Rainbow. Did someone yeah. hear you? Did Richie hear you somewhere doing your own solo thing? And he thinks yeah. he would be good because, again, going back to kind of what we've established here, you might have hard rock wasn't really what you were doing right that minute. Right. So yeah. it was kind of a change. Did you yeah. have to wrestle with that yourself? How did this even happen? Yeah. Well, at the time, um, Roger Glover was working. Uh, this sort of long-winded story. This a bit. Uh, Roger Glover was working with White Snake. White Snake had just sort of been put together back then, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, he, he was working with uh, Rainbow also. You know, Roger was producing White Snake, etc. And uh, Roger was working with Rainbow writing this new album. And uh, Mickey Moody, the guitar player, said, "Well, I, I, um, they were talking about me or something." Mickey Moody and Roger Glover. And uh, uh, Mickey said to Roger, "I've got Graham's number because we were managed by the same people back then, me and uh, White Snake." And uh, Roger said, oh, "I like that because Rich is." was talking about him the other day. They had a game in the chateau where they were recording. They had spot that tune, you know, so they had to say, put it in the cassette machine and, you know, who's this and who's this and what song is that? And my song came up, my cousin and I song, Only One Woman. And uh, Richie said, where is this guy now? And somebody said, oh, I, th- I think he lost his voice or something. He doesn't, doesn't work anymore. And Roger said, well, I've been in touch with Mickey Moody. He is working, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's still alive. Mm-hmm. And so they um, wanted me to go over and audition with them in uh, uh, sort of France, Switzerland border. And uh, so I went over to, uh, you know, rehearse with that. I played, well, rec- not record, to actually audition. And I had to learn a, a rainbow or deep purple song. It was uh, a song called Mistreated. And that was my audition piece. I really? had no idea who rainbow was. I knew who deep purple was, but wow. I wasn't a big fan, you know, because I was a, you know, Beatles fan, what, what can you say? Sure, that sure. was it, Beatles and nothing else. Yeah. Um, so so I, I learned this tune and went over to uh, where they were recording the sh- Chateau, like they did back then, and uh, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I sang this song at them, uh, but I was really nervous of doing it. I thought, oh, crap, I'm going to fuck this up, you know. Mm-hmm. So what I did was um, 
the microphone, if it's in this uh, sort of big dining room area, drums are all set up and amps and all the whole thing. So I sat back from the microphone. I, I didn't sing on mic. And so I sang this Miss Trudy song off mic. And uh, they, they just all looked at each other and started laughing. Mm. And I thought, oh, fuck. But then you're a <laughs> bloody idiot. But uh, I don't know who said it. But someone said, we can hear you over all this. <laughs> And I said, well, yeah, well, I just didn't want to, uh, I didn't mess up, did I? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> they said, no, but we can hear you. How is that possible? You know, uh-huh. it was all plugged in and banging the fucking drums, cozy, the noisiest bloody drummer in the world. <laughs> and so I did it again, off microphone again, because I thought I was going to screw it up, you know, holding the words in my hand. And then uh, we, we did it again. And then Don said to me, Don always said to me, Graham, just do it on mic this one time, will you? <laughs> so I did it on mic. And I remember there was a balcony up there where we were rehearsing, doing this rehearsal. And all of a sudden, all these people came in and all smiling faces. Um, it was the band's girlfriends and some of the roadies. And they're all smiling like crazy. And I look up and go, what's happened? <laughs> 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 anyway, that's my that's me showing off now. But I love it. <laughs> it was a real bloody ego booster, I can of tell course. you. I, I just went, oh fuck. Yes. <laughs> and I, so they said, Well, do you want the job? Uh-huh. And I went back to London and said to my uh, manager, I said, I don't think I'm right for this. I really don't. I don't see myself in that kind of situation with all the you know, the sort of classical sounding melodies yeah. and blah 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 all that kind of thing because i've been so used to doing more pop and more sort of uh you know r&b blues stuff you know yeah yeah you know something with two or three chords not 93 chords and anyway it was um he said to me my manager said to me graham this would be a great move for you so i don't see how because mm. i'm nothing like them i've got this short fucking hair you know i walk <laughs> in there with my suit on this was for the audition. And um, I remember Cozy called me the bank manager. So <laughs> here comes the bank manager. Oh, you know, so it was kind of a funny, but they they were all amazingly great to me, the, the, the guys in Rainbow. They really Good. were. And uh, so the job was mine. And I went back and started recording with Roger. Love it. Okay. Yep. Well, and that album, Down to Earth, I'm suddenly all of a sudden blanking on it. It's Down to Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. That album, yeah. I love that album. And it's a little poppier. You know, yeah, it it's is. it's it's more streamlined yeah. than the like I know what you mean, that sort of like classical yeah. guitar show show I don't mean show off in a bad way. Richie's one of the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's more streamlined pop rock hits, which does suit you well, you know? Yeah. It seems yeah. to. It yeah. seems to. Well, that was the idea, you know, from uh the, the Rainbow Management, uh, Bruce, Bruce Payne, he wanted the band to be more radio friendly. Mm-hmm. And the last freaking track we did, well, not the last, but the one that everybody was avoiding was Since You Mean Gone. Nobody liked it. And we said, what? we're not going to do that song, are we? We're mm-hmm. not going to do that, are we? And look what he did. He just brought, you know, Rainbow to the fore. They yes, were suddenly recognized on the radio in freaking England and all that. It, they suddenly became, you know, a hit band. Yeah. And we're playing bigger places. And, you know, the places we play were just, well, you can imagine. Yeah, Stadium, imagine. blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. it was amazing. And so, you know, Russ Ballard's song, Russ Ballard's songs still 
remain in my heart. Absolutely. He's a great writer. And if it wasn't for Russ, I just wonder where Rainbow would be now. I agree. I had Russ on here song. a few. I had Russ on here a few years ago, and he's one of the best yeah. songwriters still. And those songs yeah. hold up. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I gotta ask, and maybe you've told this story a million times, and I'm forgetting. Why did it only last the one album? Did you just think I'm I'm oh. just not right for this, or what? Um, it, well, what happened was it's um, it's a stupid thing, really. We were rehearsing in uh, Copenhagen. And uh, we're rehearsing for the next album. And Russ has sent a song in called um, I Surrender. I Surrender. And that, that was the only song we had. So we rehearsed for like, we started rehearsing for like three weeks and nothing was happening. Uh, sometimes at rehearsal, Richie would turn up sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, uh, there would be um, Don and me in the room and nobody else. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it was like, what the hell's going on? It seemed like Richie had lost interest completely mm -hmm. and Cozy was gone and we had uh, Bobby Rondinelli playing drums. So we had a new drummer mm -hmm. and it wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. The kind of camaraderie was gone, you know, because me and Cozy and Don, especially, I, I tell everybody, this, we were like, you know, the three musketeers, we were so close. Mm -hmm. And Don just said to me, it ain't the same without Cozy. He said, yeah. you know, and we're not doing anything. The only mm -hmm. song we have is that Russ Ballard song, I Surrender, you know. so. I said to him, well, what are we going to do? And Don said, well, I'm going to leave the band. I said, you're kidding me, aren't you? He said, well, it's not the same without Coase. Yeah. I said, well, if you leave the band, so will I. And what happened was, it was like it was non-rehearsals. Nothing was really happening. Roger said to me one day, what about going and put down the backing vocals to I Surrender? And that, that is what I did. Okay. Um, they weren't used on the the real version of the thing. Mm. But anyway, I did some backing vocals. I didn't do a lead vocal on it. And I said, well, I sort of got ready to go back to LA and I came back to LA and uh, that's when I sort of left the band. Okay. I said, what's happening? And, and uh, Don didn't leave. He stayed, obviously. Mm -hmm. And um, I was replaced by Joe. Yeah. Joe came in and they had, I Surrender as an, mm -hmm. you know, another Russ Ballard hit. Yeah. And, you know, great for them, you know. Yeah. But I wish I hadn't left now. Really? You know, thinking back, you know, you always go, oh, I shouldn't have done that, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's too late. <laughs> but I mean, things were okay after that. Yeah. So tell me uh, now, you you know this. Famously, you've worked with some of the biggest guitarists of and best guitarists of all time. At least three of the four will exclude Steve Vai because I, I hear nothing but lovely things about Steve Vai. The other three have a reputation for being a little difficult. Richie, Ingve, and Michael Schenker. Um, all sure. tremendously gifted, though. What was your yeah. experience like with Richie? Let's do these in order, if you don't mind. Tell me a story or an anecdote or something about your, uh, your memories of Richie. Oh, geez. I mean, Richie was like, uh, he, I was very close with him. Really? I never had any problem. I heard he was moody and this and the other. Uh -huh. um, he's a very shy person and didn't... Um, I remember when we made up um, uh, the song All Night Long.
he said, what do you think of this? He played this this riff on his on the acoustic in the studio. And I said, oh, that's not bad. And he said to me, can you place that around? It's an old Rolling Stones tune, um, Out of Time. Baby, baby, mm. baby, you're out of time. But the verse was like, Living in the, mm-hmm. I mean, the verse is pretty much just fucking same, you know. Of course, now I hear and it. I, yep. I said, well, I said, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can do that. And Rog wrote some words, and uh, there you go. That was, it was um, me and Richie got on so well, and I never understood why people thought he was the man in black and dark and moody. He was with other people, I think. You know, if he didn't like somebody, he liked me very much. Yeah. I must Maybe say. it's because he doesn't do a lot of interviews, so we don't know any different. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. We don't hear him Possibly. saying otherwise. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe I mean, that's he, it. He's a, he's a really shy person. He didn't like uh, doing autographs. I remember that when we were in Japan, like 10 billion people attacked him. And he was going, uh, you know, no, I've got to go now. And it, it seemed like he was standoffish and whatever, but he was just, he wanted his own privacy and get some rest or whatever. Or he's just a shy person. He didn't like all the showbiz yeah. thing, you know, yeah. which I understand completely. Totally. But, Neil but Peart from, uh, you know, you're coming back to the hotel after, working and there's 10,000 well especially in japan it was insane there i bet but um me and rich got on really really well Good. and i i appreciate what he did for me yeah you know having me join his band short hair and all yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i okay I've, I've always wondered i mean you have to have have you been pressured to grow your hair out to look like everybody yeah. else and just been defiant no i'm going to do it my way or what no, no, never. Okay. I mean, because you look fantastic. You know this, but I'm just curious. I look, I look fabulous, darling. I know. Um, well, you do. It's, um, it, it just, uh, you know, when I joined the freaking band, that's why I said I, I wasn't right because, you know, what I was doing was like rock, old rock and roll stuff. You know, you know, old sort of boogie woogie, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, and R and B stuff. And my the way I dressed was something I loved from the the 1950s. So I had. Um, you know, um, Bobby Darren's tailor in London uh, made me a suit. I remember the first suit I had made was Bobby Darren's, you know, uh, cloth. He was going to have oh, made into a suit. And Bobby Darren, of course, had died years ago. And I said to the guy, I said, could, could you make me? It was Savile Row, you know, very posh. <laughs> I said, could you make me a suit out of that? It was kind of a gray, gray sort of speckly thing. But it was really nice. And that was the suit I wore and I went to audition for rainbow. And, um, that was kind of cool. What am I talking about? I forgot. Well, I, you know, this is, this is, these are the stories that I love to hear. Oh, okay. Tell me an Ingbe story. What was oh, that? Oh like? yeah. All right. Well, there was this boy. <laughs> it was a boy. I, we found Ingbe, found him through a friend of his who was working in a record store. I think we, we auditioned a bunch of guitar players and I said, we've got to find somebody who plays like Richie Blackmore. And somebody said, I know just the guy. There's a huge Richie Blackmore fan. And he came to see you in Sweden and was sitting up in a tree. Oh, who's that? And it was this kid called Ingbe. And um, he was 18, I think, at the time. And so I said, oh, that sounds fantastic. Because we'd, we'd auditioned a whole bunch of people. I can't even remember who we didn't audition. And um, they were never quite right. And so... We had a, um, we booked a studio for Ingbe so we could audition him because we heard how great he was. And I said, well, let, let's give him a song that isn't a rainbow song. 
And we auditioned him on a song called SOS, which is a uh, Ross Ballard song. Right. If he can play that, you know, properly, not just go, blah, 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 you know, do all that. And he passed the audition immediately. He played it with, with love and he listened to the song. That's what 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 Yngwie did. He yeah. listened to the song. He listened to the way words were when we wrote later on. The way the words were going, the you know, the feeling of the song, the soul of the song. He played that. He didn't just waffle like mm-hmm. you know, like you think it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's he's a very soulful and a great player. But what happened later on? That ego, you know, overtook the kid that he was, and he became a, suddenly a very angry young man. I was drinking like a fucking lunatic. So was he. And um, it was, we we're on the road somewhere on, I can't remember where we were in the States. And uh, I went off stage when he was doing his solo. And unfortunately, <laughs> I had dark glasses on. And unfortunately, I didn't see, I tripped over his uh, cord, yes, Lee, mm. and pulled his guitar out while he was blah, 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 doing, you know, doing his thing all by himself. It was his turn, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to the bus to go and talk to the bus driver because I knew that his solo would be long. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. Suddenly, Ingve comes running out and got hold of my throat and push his thumbs in, in here like so hard. <gasps> I couldn't breathe, you know. He was yeah. trying to my voice, basically. Wow. He said, you fucking cunt, you know. And he pushed harder and harder. He said, you did that on purpose. I said, what, what, what? I didn't know what had happened. Yeah. Cord, you know, then I said, my cord came out of you know, out the amp, blah, 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 in the middle of my solo, he says. And I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And, yeah. uh, but he kept on pushing and pushing and pushing. And one of our crew said, Ingbe, he was a big uh, Yugoslavian kid, mm. said, Ingbe, stop that man. Got <laughs> hold of Ingbe's head, put it under his arm and said, you fucking touch Graham again, I will break your neck. No way. And Ingbe stopped. Oh. I said, now you can, now you can go finish your solo. But it was uh, that night on the bus, he was fired because he tried to injure me. Yeah. Oh, you man. Know? That doesn't that doesn't float. No. Bloody hell. Yeah. Man, he's so talented, but you hear these stories. I saw he him is. a concert probably about 10 years ago, and it was in a smaller club. The entire back wall is Marshall amplifiers, yeah. floor to ceiling. And yeah. the band is squeezed into about oh, one the, third yeah. of the stage <laughs> and he makes up the other two thirds of the stage just yeah. having the whole thing for himself and he's oh, yeah. const- and he's constantly throwing guitar picks i caught one it hit me in the chest um <laughs> it was a great fantastic fun show but you just know this yeah. guy is uh can be kind of a diva uh yes i mean yes. No, I, i've heard that it's kind of funny that he's doing that i mean god i know that in um when he does interviews, he never mentions being in the band with me or the guys. It's always wow. like, you know, I did this all by myself. If it wasn't for, I think, if it wasn't for us giving him a break and we had a hit like straight away with our first single with Alcatraz, I don't think he would have gotten where he is.
maybe eventually, because he's so good, but we gave him, you know, the stepping stone to doing what he did eventually, Absolutely. which was, um, you know, being solo. Okay. And our manager, actually, you know, our ex-manager, uh, Andy Truman, who was the band's manager, took Ingve and went and managed him. You know, oh. we have that to pay like the manager to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, had to pay, we paid him eight eight thousand dollars to leave. To go so what and, a, so I what want a, to work with him, but eh? what about Michael Shanker then? Because now he seems like he's really cleaned up and seems yeah. like all the interviews I ever hear from him, he seems like a really nice guy now. But maybe it wasn't yeah. always like that. Yeah. Because you all I mean famously, I believe you only lasted one gig and you I believe famously you only lasted that one gig and pulled your pants yes, down or something like that, right? <laughs> the infamous <laughs> Yeah, that was a very uh, semi-naked night. That was, um, it was, uh, yeah, that was yeah. a drunken, uh, it, Sheffield it was, I think. Uh, <laughs> terrible. That was a terrible night. I yeah. sang two songs and walked off stage and God knows what. And all hell broke loose. I got on a train, went back to London, and I was fired that night because of my behavior. But, um, you know, that was something on me. It wasn't, you know, but it was an afternoon of drinking with Whitesnake. I remember they were opening up for us or we were double bill, whatever. And um, I got very shit-faced, you know, and this is like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I went back to my dressing, uh, my dressing room and uh, Michael was in it. And I said, Michael, could it? I'm knocking on the door, Michael. He said, oh, go away, fuck off. I said, no, I want my I want my wallet. It's in my jacket in there. And uh, he locked the door, didn't let me in. Really? And I got so angry, went back to the pub again, you know, mm-hmm. drinking until I was almost falling over. Mm-hmm. And then by the time he came to the show, I was fucking falling over. Uh, I had all the um, all the lyrics to the old album, the, the one that Gary Barden sang, all the lyrics to that album and all the lyrics written out on the new album, the... Um, you know, assault assault mm-hmm. everything was across the freaking stage like wallpaper. <laughs> you know, I had a very short time, very short time to learn them all because it was right. like, oh, I've gone on the road. Jeez. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't remember all that. Uh-huh. And what happened was I was so wobbly and all over the place. And um, the uh, floor monitors, the, ki- the kids in the audience pushed forward. And my monitors went... <laughs> and ripped up all my lyrics oh, that no. I'd written out, you know, by hand. And so I didn't know what that, I said, you fuck. <laughs> so I started swearing <laughs> the audience and it developed from there. It just became right. you know, complete fucking shambles. Oh, and I had, to, I had to run for my life because I was just, my jeans split, my dick yeah. came out, but the whole way. <laughs> It, it was the star of the show. Let me tell you. <laughs> what a night! Have you? Yeah, ever, I, I mean, do you, you think know, I, that? I, yeah, my my zipper bust. You know, okay. I had these jeans made in. Um, I had these jeans made in Oxford Street. There was they made jeans within an hour, and so <laughs> you thought, oh, okay, uh, that's nice. They, they fit properly, but uh-huh. the zipper wasn't that strong or something. And as I was shouting at the audience, the fucking thing. Came, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I assumed you that. pulled it out yourself. I didn't realize yeah. your your there was a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. Yeah, it was a bit of both. It was so like, oh, it's coming out. So oh, fuck. <laughs> I didn't care. I, I really yeah. didn't care. I was I, I wasn't there. I yeah. was there, but not quite. 
Right. You know? Do you so, keep in uh, touch with any of these people? Do you keep in touch with Michael or Ingbe or Richie? Yeah, yeah I've been Dude. playing with Michael a couple years ago. And well, that's true. You did. Yeah, yeah. Because there's the live yeah. album. Yeah. did all that yeah so it's all blood under the bridge now i mean we're, we're friends now and i remember getting through uh, my songs on stage and looking at them going <laughs> <laughs> the first time it, it's the first yeah. i actually got through some songs without bloody throwing up or whatever or right. an idiot. so it was like you know yeah i'm friends with him completely now it's yeah it's all changed okay know? what about steve Vai? i mean he's also yeah. just he seems like a really fantastic you know together human being Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I don't know. But you tell me yeah. a Steve Vai story. Yeah, well, um, I remember when um, Steve joined the band, you know, we worked together. I love working with him. I love the second um, album we did. I really do. That's my favorite Alcatraz album. That's mine, too. Was on. Yep. Is there? Yep. The, the songs are better and more better constructed and mm-hmm. a little bit different. You know, I, I love that album. And he, he later in an interview I saw, he, he said the same thing. That's one of his favorite uh, albums, which nobody had missed to be in an Alcatraz, but he did. <laughs> I wasn't in that band, not me. Oh, Whatever. Look alike. <laughs> so, yeah, he got, we rehearsed with Steve, and I remember him saying, um, the first night we played was at, um, oh, God, what's the place? Um, but it was in L.A., uh, a reasonably well-known, but I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, we played in this place with, um, Girl, I think it was girls' school or something. Mm. They were opening up for us. He was so nervous. He had, his manager was there, and she was calming him down. He said, uh, he was all nervous about playing some of the Alcatraz stuff that Ingbe played, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I just can't play like uh, like Ingbe. And I said to him, no, you don't. You mm-hmm. play like Steve Vai. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's That'll something. That'll do it. Yes. <laughs> you know, Absolutely it is. Yeah, he's he's my one of my favorite guitar players and always will be. I love the way he writes songs. I love that that uh, you know that partnership we had together when, when we made the second album. Yeah, I, I'm very proud of that. Going back yeah. to what I was saying earlier about your voice and especially your voice working in tandem with Steve's guitar playing. I was watching a clip on YouTube of you guys performing "Stripper" back in 1985 yeah. in Tokyo.
And that, I yeah. mean, there's a lot of songs that require you to wail. That song is one in particular that requires a lot of wailing. And I'm watching this clip and I'm thinking, how does Graham do this every single night? Is it just, does it come naturally to you? Do you have a, do you have a, like a process? It's, it's, you just happen to see a good one. It doesn't happen every night. Of course it doesn't. Sometimes okay. you duck and dive, you know, if you're tired, if I'm tired, I'm, I go, Oh, I'm not going to do that bit tonight. Oh, well, yeah. maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But, uh, you know, when the band is as good as, well, when a guitar player is as good as Steve Vai, it kind of brings you up, you know, the adrenaline pumps because you hear what he's doing. We go, fucking hell, I've got a match left, you know, mm -hmm. if I can. Yeah. But you know that the human voice is the hardest instrument to play. It's unreliable. It. You know, I've been very, very lucky yeah. to keep it the way it is right now. Yeah. You know, I, I still have the same range and all that kind of shit. Yeah. And I still have the same vibrato. I still have the same amount of air. I'm lucky I have my granddad's lungs. That's uh, amazing. I've got a very sort of barrelly chest. You know, yes. always look at my granddad and go, he's like a greyhound. Yeah. He's got a big chest and his little narrow waist. Uh -huh. But I have the same sort of shape as my granddad, and it's the air. I'm lucky enough to have that, um, you know, air in there in my lungs. Yeah. Even though I'm asthmatic as well, which is kind of Yeah, weird. and I think but you have epilepsy too, right? I'm epilepsic. So, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's all fun. It's all good stuff that doesn't really... <laughs> Doesn't really go with what I do, yeah. Right. Epileptic, fucking hell, we can't have him. Yeah, so I'm a epileptic, asthmatic. Yeah, it's uh, and an alcoholic, but I don't drink now. I'm glad to say. Yeah, but I was going to ask all okay. those things. But I was going to ask you about that. You first of all, you used to smoke. I don't know if you still smoke. A little bit. Do no, you? Not okay. now. No. Oh, so no. you don't smoke cigarettes anymore? I wondered if no. you how that was going to be another question. Does he still smoke and sound like this? So you don't smoke or drink anymore? No, not at all. That's probably for the it, best. It, yeah, it, that will mess up your voice, no doubt. Because I was yeah. drinking like heavy liquor sometimes. And, you know, I remember my uh, throat doctor saying, if you're going to drink anything, just drink beer and wine. And of course, I thought, oh, well, I can... <laughs> still makes you fucking drunk. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what you bloody drink. Right. So I went to um, rehab about, um, oh, well, a while ago. And I've been sober for 15 years. I'm more than Oh, that. right on. Been, Good must for be you. 15, 17, 18 years. Okay. Yeah. So, Good for you. You know, and I it's interesting. In it's interesting looking at you because you're for you know our listeners can't see this, but you're sitting outside on a deck chair, beautiful blue sky behind you, black t-shirt, sunglasses, looking every bit the Southern California gentleman. <laughs> I wonder how long have you lived in LA? Because you seem like you were born to live in L.A. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was here in 19, 1979. Okay. So my kids were born here. So two of my kids were born in Northridge. And uh, uh, my third child was born um, in uh, Henry Mayo in Santa Clarita. So, yeah. I mean, my kids have a different accent to mine. Of course. Um, listen, to, listen to dad. He's really funny. He's like, oh, listen, oh, listen to dad. You know, yeah. Like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean my accent? Right. <laughs> it used to be like that when they were little, you know, that, uh -huh. oh, oh, dad. But sometimes they say things that I, I say with a British accent. It's kind of funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So a long okay. time. You look great. I, I always wanted to come here. I lived in New York for one, one year when uh, I joined Rainbow. Because Richie lived on Long Island, so did I. I had a place on Long Island that I rented. Mm. So I was there for about a year, doing a bit, and then decided the weather was too freezing cold in the winter. 
my dog didn't even like it. So we came over to California with some of the uh, the crew moved over from uh, the East Coast. So the Rainbow Crew. So I said to my ex-wife then, I said, but they can move over. Should we do the same? And so mm-hmm. we did. We moved you over did. here. Okay. Yeah. Been here. Yeah, you look like you were made for it. Okay, Graham, tell me, we're almost done here. Tell me some of your favorite stories. Tell, I mean, you've been at this for 50 years, if not longer, and uh, you've seen it all from the highs to the lowest lows. Give me, tell me a story. Did you meet one of your heroes? Did you sing with someone you love? Did you, uh, I don't know, a great night out in a great city, whatever it might be. Tell me one of your favorite stories from all this time. Well, obviously, the, the most memorable and unfortunately sad night was um, when Cozy left the band when we did um, the Monsters of Rock, the very first ever Monsters of Rock show where we were headlining. Mm-hmm. And my mom and dad were there and my brother and my nieces and nephews. That was the most memorable thing ever, you know, to do yep. that. I'll never forget that ever. It was a very tight. I remember we were really tired. We were knackered, you know. And I, I said to Don after the show was over, I said, God, I wish we'd been more awake to do that show. But now I see it. It wasn't that bad, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Monsters of Rock thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, is etched in my memory forever because my family was there and they were so proud of me, you know, that they encouraged me, a kid from Skegness, Lincolnshire, where nobody did anything, you know, a farmer's son. Yeah. Nobody went anywhere. Nobody, they all became farmers. Mm-hmm. And I didn't all work in a factory. Mm-hmm. And uh, they encouraged me when I went to London. They they were behind me and came to see me all the time. My mom and dad were very supportive. I'm a brother. Well, my whole family. I've been very, very lucky. But one day I'll never forget. I'm a big Neil Sadaka fan. You know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes. I, it's his birthday yesterday. Oh. Yeah. And he's doing like this uh, thing he does. Just uh-huh. him playing with the piano and singing. Yeah, I went to see him, you know, play at uh, the Albert Hall with my another ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just so impressed what this guy, all the songs he's written, you'd never, he's written songs for like everybody. You don't yeah. realize it's a Neil Sedaka mm-hmm. song. And I was used to sing his songs when I was a kid. Anyway, Morris Gibb uh, was producing me when I was like not a marble anymore, when I was on my own trying to do something. And Morris and I worked together uh, doing singles. And um, I suggested doing a song off the Neil Sedaka album that uh, 10CC produced. It was mm-hmm. um, Trala Days Are Over or something. I can't remember what it's called. But, um, you know, Love Will Keep Us Together was on there. Love, da, 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 love. Yeah. And I said um, to Morris, I said, how about doing a song called Trying to Say Goodbye? Try.
said, that'd be great. Yeah, okay, Graham, we'll do that. I'll get Graham Prescott, our arranger, to put that together. What key do you want in, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm there standing at the microphone, starting to do the verses. And suddenly the door opens and there's a little Neil Sedaka head. (laughs) 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 Peeping, Peeping around the corner. And he says to me, is Maurice here? <laughs> Not Maurice. Maurice. Yeah. Is Maurice here? Maurice get Mr. Sedaka. I'm singing his song. And right. he comes into the freaking studio. No way. Um, <laughs> the arranger, another Graham, the arranger Graham Prescott said to Maurice, he said, oh, that's it. He's finished. Now. He won't have another note out of him. He'll be like, oh, look, what? He won't be able to sing. But Neil Sedaka, Came, came into the studio, sat up in, in the, you know, in the control room with, with Morris, and he was looking through the glass at me and going, you know, give me the thumbs up when I did a good line or whatever, uh-huh, a good uh-huh. take. And I, I just was like blown away. There's one of my heroes from when I yes. was a little kid. Yes. When I was like 12 or 13 or whatever. Wow. And there's Neil fucking Decker. And his wife, Lieber wow. came in too. She was there too. And I just was like, my God, I said, thank you for calling. He said, yeah, I'm on my way to the talk. He was playing the talk of the town in London uh-huh. at the time. And uh, he, was, he played a couple of gigs there, which I always went to. Wow. And, uh, yeah. What so a great was. story. I'm it's speaking not very of... heavy metal, I know. No, that's what. <laughs> See, what this is right, why so I think singer. you're especially interesting, because I can, I know your tastes run broader than heavy metal. In fact, I want to, one of my, we have Patreon supporters, and I always yeah. tell them who I'm interviewing, and they can submit questions if they want. One of them in particular, Philip Hopwood, he said he was at that performance, the Monsters of Rock show at the Castle Donington. He was there. He remembers it. And um, he always really loved the songs Eyes of the World and Lost in Hollywood. And uh, anyway, do you have like a Cozy Powell story? I mean, he's gone, been gone a long time, but you two were obviously really close. Yeah. Why did he leave? Just had enough? Sad, yeah. I mean, he okay. wanted, I think yeah, that when he left, I think he teamed up with Wisesnake, I think, was his first. Then, he, then with everybody else, you know, he did a lot of you know gigging with different people. But, um, the cozy power story is a sad one because of what happened that day he died. He was killed and he was on his way. He'd been drinking with Neil, uh, the bass player for um, Wisesnake, mm. uh, Neil Murray. And they'd been drinking in the afternoon. And he said to Neil, I, I don't know how the conversation went, but he said, I'm going to propose to my girlfriend today. He's going to marry her. And uh, he was shit-faced. They'd been drinking wine and God knows what else. Yeah. And Neil said he left in a really bad state, got into his car, didn't put a seatbelt on. And as he was driving to his girlfriend's place, he was on the phone with her. No seatbelt driving at like 2 million miles an hour like mm. he did. And something happened to the car. I'm not quite sure what. Mm. Something happened with the car. I'm still sort of not certain what happened. And she was talking to him. He was going to marry her. He was going to propose. And his last words were, oh, shit, as the car oh, turned over. Man. And it landed on top of him. And... That's when I talk of cozy, I, I, I just that comes to my mind. It's, it's gruesome and mm-hmm. morbid and horrible, but I just think of what, why cozy? Yeah. What the fuck were you doing? Yeah, because yeah. I always used to drive with him mm-hmm. when we we're on the road with Rainbow. 
me and Don would always drive with him because we got there before the guys who took the plane. Yeah. You know, they would yeah. take the plane and me and Don would say, well, I think we're going to go with COVID, especially in, uh, you know, uh, Germany, the, you know, the Autobahn and all that. And he would drive like crazy, but he was a great freaking driver. Yeah. But I think something went wrong with the car. I, I don't know for sure. But um, he's always in my, I speak about him every day. I can tell. Every damn day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, whoever, whoever is from me, I said, yeah, yeah, I think Cozy would do that. Mm. But no, maybe he wouldn't. Uh, and they said, oh, oh absolutely. You know, yeah. Every drummer I, I play with, you always go, Cozy. Yeah. 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 Fucking the best, the best. Yeah. And John Bonham, uh, you know, John was his dear friend. I remember when John died, that mm -hmm. um, we were living in a house in London making the Michael Shanker album, me and Cozy. And when that happened, Cozy was shattered when yeah. John died. Yeah. But we, we, we were very close. And yeah. um, I, I can't think of a sort of a funny story. <laughs> no, this is great. This is just what yeah. I wanted to hear is that, you know, your recollections. Well, I hate yeah. to leave it on a down note, but look, let's talk. Okay, so the new album, what's it called again? Uh, a Day Out of Nowhere. A Day Out of Nowhere. <laughs> okay. Out nowhere. Okay, the so the thing, new the album is, is going to be out in May, and um, yeah. hopefully there's a tour. I've never seen you live, but I've always wanted to, and I've listened to the live albums, and I've noticed they incorporate songs from all over this your career, different spots from everywhere, which is perfect. And... Um, yeah, that's great. I've just, you're one of the most fascinating characters I can think of in heavy metal. Oh. And I've always wanted to know what your story is. So thanks for talking with me, Graham. It meant a lot. Hey, you're very, very welcome. And anytime. Oh, and the single is out on YouTube now. You can watch it. Yes. It's called Imposter. Um, Imposter. It's yeah. out there. So if you want yep. to that, it's quite a, an interesting thing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Have you Thank seen you, it? sir. You too. I'll send you. Oh, I, yeah, of course. I, I oh, good. watched the video and the song's yeah. on Spotify and I, yeah, it's kind of cool. The guy doing the guy who's me is it's like, oh, right. but it's just about growing old. I'm very honest about it now. Let my hair go gray. And yeah, you know, how old I are you old. now? How old I'm are you now? 74. My goodness. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you get old, you lose your hair and all the rest of it goes gray, whatever. Mm -hmm. I miss it. I, I was always dying my hair for years. And I thought, well, fuck it. You know, I am old. And this song really tells. It's all about that. It's Who is great. That? When you look in the mirror, you go, that's not me. Wait a minute. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I look like my dad. You know, it's like, oh, God. Anyway, Isn't that weird? Uh, I'm glad you like the song anyway. I do. I love it. All right. There you have it. Graham Bonnet. I hope you've, I mean, I feel like I understand him a little bit better now, but I just still find him fascinating. This guy, he just does not fit into the mold of anyone in hard rock or heavy metal. He's always done it his way. He's always done a little bit of everything with class, with panache. Fascinating to me, this guy. Now, this is another song. I want to play another one off the new album. Again, it's called Day Out in Nowhere. It's on Spotify. You can stream it. This song is called Uncle John. It's one of the singles off of the album. Um, check it out if you can. Now, next week, we are talking to... It's another twofer next week. We're talking to the front man for one of the great 80s bands great 80s bands and they have a new album out and the second half is the producer of that album as well as the rest of the stuff that he's worked on so it's a fantastic twofer that's what's coming up next week huge thanks as always to Yana Mamakiewicz my right hand man thank you buddy for being my partner in this you guys you can find us on Facebook 
You can send us a message on there. You can like our page. That's where we do most of our communication. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Please check uh, in with Patreon. Sign up to be a member there if you don't mind. You can donate a couple of bucks a month. That'll put you in the running to win any swag we ever get. I didn't get any Graham Bonnet Band CDs, unfortunately. I was hoping I would, but I didn't. Uh, Or you can donate five bucks a month. That gets you the swag, as well as insight into everyone I'm interviewing. And you can submit questions that might be considered for the show if you want to do that. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you.